Oh, man, I feel like after the children and you, we could just get up and go home. <laughs> this was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, this week, we are celebrating our second Sunday in Advent. And as we said last week, Advent actually comes from the Latin, Adventus, meaning coming. And so in this season, we wait and we long for the coming of Christ. And this season offers us the opportunity to share in that ancient longing uh, for the coming of the Messiah, but also to be alert for his second coming, to be waiting and wondering and hoping for God's grace to appear now and in the future. Last week, our attention turned to the women of Christmas and the roles that they play in the Christmas story. Uh, we talked about Elizabeth and Mary. We didn't get to Anna, Anna, but we are going to get there today. Today we'll talk about Elizabeth, Mary, and Anna. And we find their story in the Gospel of Luke. As you all know, there are two uh, birth narratives. Mark doesn't have one. The Gospel of John does not have one. The only places we hear of Jesus' birth are in Luke and in Matthew. And what we tend to do at Christmas, of course, is meld those into one story. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, Joseph is the primary character. He's the protectorate of the Christ child and of Mary. Mary doesn't say anything in, um, in uh, Matthew's Gospel. But we, and we have the wise men that come. We have the angel that goes to Joseph after he discovers that Mary is having a child and it's not his. And the angel assures him it's okay. Go ahead and, and marry her because this is God's son. In Luke, the angel visits Mary. And Joseph never gets a word in edgewise in this gospel. Uh, it's Mary who's the prime character, as is Elizabeth and Anna. Uh, so we see in Luke some themes that arise. And that would be a big inclusion of women that you don't see in other gospels. Lots and lots of women, women, women everywhere in Luke's gospel, and they uh, act prophetically. Um, we also see angels, a lot of angels in Luke's story, because we see heaven and earth coming together with the incarnation of the Christ child. And we also see a huge role for the Holy Spirit. And as you know, Luke also wrote the book of Acts, so the Holy Spirit plays this huge role in Luke's gospel because we see then, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church in Acts. So anyone who has received the Holy Spirit then has this fabulous prophetic voice in the, in the uh, narratives. And then, of course, all of that leads to Jesus as the fulfillment of Scripture, as the Messiah, as God's chosen one, to be the Savior of Israel. Another theme that we find is, if you were here last year, in Mary's Magnificat, she sings of the humble um, being lifted up, those who are low being lifted up, the poor being, uh, the hungry being fed, but also of the powerful being brought low. Whether the powerful are brought low because they humble themselves or they are kings getting toppled off their thrones because of the power that they refuse to let go of. The women in this birth narrative follow in the lines of the Old Testament, the great Old Testament matriarchs and prophets. They would probably be, if they were in high school, voted least likely to be 
least likely to be the mother of the prophet of the Most High, least likely to be the mother of Jesus, um, least likely to be the prophet who declares um, the redemption of Israel. And yet, here they are in our story, the lowly who are lifted up. And we see this, this theme of the Old Testament matriarchs and patriarchs with parallel stories. Last week we talked about how Sarah and Abraham's story was like Elizabeth's. Uh, Elizabeth was barren. She was old. She couldn't have a child. So she and Zechariah are like Elizabeth, are like Sarah and Abraham in that God gives them a child when they're barren and he's going to be a special child just like Isaac was. Um, Rebecca's story, again, some, a woman who's barren and is given a child. And probably the most prominent story that we see woven through here, the parallels. They don't ever mention Hannah's name or Elkina's name. It's the story of Hannah and Elkina. Again, we saw this in um, Elizabeth and in Mary last week, where Hannah is in the Old Testament. She doesn't have a child. She's barren, and she goes and she prays to God, just as Elizabeth has for a child. A son is given to her, and he becomes a prophet, a prophet who anoints the first kings of Israel. Her son is Samuel, and he anoints King Saul, and he anoints King David. Elizabeth is given a son. His name is John the Baptist. He will be the one, of course, Jesus is, Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, but John the Baptist will baptize him just as that symbol of anointing. So we have John the Baptist becoming the prophet of the Most High. And of course, these women's voices, uh, their prophetic voices, reflect Isaiah's voice, but also, again, Samuel's voice, because Mary answers when, when the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, you're going to have this son, and it will be by the Holy Spirit. She answers like a prophet, and the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Samuel answer when they're called. Their answer is, here am I, Lord. Here am I. And so Mary is seen as a prophet. And so these parallel stories, we find just back to back, we find parallel stories of the, of the life of John the Baptist and Jesus. And what we had last week was an annunciation by the angel Gabriel. Gabriel visits Elizabeth to say, you are going to have a baby, and his name will be John, and this is what he will be. He will be the prophet of the Most High. He's going to be great. Then the, uh, Gabriel visits Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. His name will be Jesus, and he will be the son of the Most High, and his name will be great. So we see these parallel stories. And everywhere you sing, it, everywhere you are in the stories, every time good news is announced, people break out into song. It's just like a virtual um, Broadway show. We have canticles of praise coming from Elizabeth for the blessing that Mary has in her womb. We have a praise, uh, the Magnificat from Mary for what God has done for her and for her son. When Zechariah, uh, when, when John the Baptist is born, Zechariah breaks out into song, uh, speak, singing of how great 
John will be and the one who is to follow him. So we have all of these songs, and there's more to come. There's more songs today, so it's going to be lots of fun. And so that is where we pick up today. We left last week. We had had the announcement of the birth of these babies. Mary and Elizabeth visit one another. The Holy Spirit is upon them both. The, uh, John the Baptist leaps in Mary's womb. And now we're getting ready for the birth of these babies. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her. Remember, she's been in seclusion. No one has known. And they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. This is going to be a lot like us doing baptism. Uh, the, the sign of the faith for us is to be baptized into the faith. The sign of the faith here is circumcision, and there are naming rites. What name is given this child? So they're going to name him. Those who come assume we're going to name him after his daddy. Isn't that what you do? But his mother said, no, he is to be called John, just like Gabriel said. And they said to her, none of your relatives has this name. And they began motioning to the father. Remember, he's been struck mute because he didn't believe what the angel said was going to happen. So since the day of the announcement, he's been mute. So they motioned to the father to find out what name to give him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Because this is what happens when you're obedient to God in the Gospel of Luke. When you're obedient to God and you fulfill God, what God wants in your life, you recognize God's gift and you sing praises. Fear came over all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. And all who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed, the hand of the Lord was with him. Gabriel's announcement has been fulfilled in the birth of John the Baptist. Baron Elizabeth has given birth to a son. And it says in the scripture, many will rejoice in his birth. And that's what the neighbors do. So the focus then now turns to the eighth day after. Circumcision according to the law. We're going to name the child. And she says he's to be called John. You're not going to name him Zachariah. Coincidentally, she chooses the same name that Gabriel tells Zachariah to call the child. If you remember, if you were here last week, the angel didn't appear to Elizabeth. And Zechariah has been struck mute. So he can't tell her what the angel said. And we know that she's been filled with the Holy Spirit because it said so when, when, uh, the two, when Mary and Elizabeth come together and they're both pregnant. And so um, since Elizabeth's been filled with the Holy Spirit, we're probably meant to see that Elizabeth's decision has been a gift of the Holy Spirit. I just have this feeling I should name my son John, and this is a confirmation of God's plan. And so Zechariah writes that confirmation, and he doesn't overrule Elizabeth, 
And so at his, at his fulfilling Gabriel's command, his tongue is loosened, and of course, as always, which is what you do, he praises God, and his neighbors are amazed and fearful, and fear, their fear uh, is fear as in the fear experienced when Gabriel appears to people. When an angel of the Lord shows up in your house, you're a little fearful. They recognize the sense of the divine in what has happened here, that the mother that this baby has been born when there should be no baby, that the mother chooses a name and the dad agrees and they haven't been able to talk about it. And so they sense somehow that the divine is present in this moment. So their fear and amazement grip them. And so uh, Zechariah responds to this, this divine action with a song of praise and prophecy which answers the question, what then will this child become? And we find out in the Benedictus. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit because he has been obedient. He's believed. And he spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior in the house of his, should be son, David. As he spoke through the mouth, of his holy prophets from old that we would be my this is not working so sorry that we would be redeemed <laughs> and he has remembered his holy covenant with Abraham to grant us I, I don't know what's happened so sorry I do have a good memory <laughs> God has promised, it, promised a lot of stuff that's being granted in this child. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. You remember John the Baptist comes preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. And so that is where we start with John the Baptist. By the tender mercy of our God, God has been merciful to those who've been waiting. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace is going to come for those who've been waiting, those who've been oppressed by the Roman Empire. The child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. And you know, the day he appears is the day he baptizes Jesus. And we see this language again. The child grew and became strong in spirit. We'll see that said of Jesus, and we've seen that in the past said of other prophets in the Old Testament when they were children. So there will, he will raise up a savior in the house of Israel. Savior, literally, this word uh, literally means says a horn of salvation. God is going to raise up a horn of salvation. That sounds kind of weird, but it's an Old Testament metaphor from the image of an ox or a bull standing alert in its, in its strength, ready to do battle. And God throughout the Old Testament raises up lots of horns of salvation. This is sometimes why there's horns on helmets for people going into battle. And those horns of salvation come through the judges, they come through the priest, they come through kings as deliverers to deliver the people from, from their enemies, to deliver the people sometimes from their sins, to lead them back to the Lord or to lead them out of slavery. Uh, and now 
this horn of salvation will come in Jesus Christ, who also will be raised up, as you know. And this Savior will come in the house of David. And we we read this last week. This is God's promise to King David um, that we read in 2 Samuel 7. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom forever. As we know, um, Jesus is in the lineage of David and is born in Bethlehem, the house of David. And then, of course, the promise to Abraham that that God will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. So this child, John the Baptist, will be prophet of the Most High who will prepare the way for the Son of the Most High. And this reflects, of course, what Gabriel says to Mary and to Zechariah. So we see that this is happening. And this child, the one who is to come after, is going, the Savior, is going to be a light to those who sit in darkness. And we see this prophesied by Isaiah. I am the Lord. I have given you, this is the nation of Israel, you as a covenant to the people, a light unto the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out from the prison those who sit in darkness. So Luke brings us now into what we consider. All of this is the precursor to what we see as the Christmas story, but it's all part of the Christmas story. And so now here we are to what we recognize as the Christmas story, where the manger of Bethlehem is going to indicate an actual historical location of the incarnation of God. God comes as one of us into a specific place and time and into a specific culture set amid the Roman Empire and set amid imperial edicts that are affecting occupied Israel. We talked about all those occupations last week. So now we have the birth and the naming of Jesus. We've had the birth and naming of John, now the parallel story, the birth and naming of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So Luke places this familiar story right in the middle of the context of the Roman Empire and its emperor, Caesar Augustus. And it's set, if you noticed, in those days, in those days a decree went out. So it's set in those days. And because of Caesar, Mary and Joseph must travel a very long way at a very inconvenient time in their lives back to Bethlehem 
in those days, in those days of occupation, in those days of overtaxing, in those days of oppression by the Roman uh, government, in those days of peace maintained at the tip of a spear, the Pax Romana, in those days Jesus was born, or Jesus, this was happening in those days, in those days of darkness in the lives of the people of Israel. And so in those days we're reminded of Mary's prophetic words in the Magnificat, that he will lift up those lowly like Mary and Joseph who are struggling, and he will pull the mighty kings off their thrones. One kingdom is about to come in conflict with another one in the city of Bethlehem. Mary, who through her actions, her saying, here am I, let it be with me, through her humility, through her prophetic song, is seen as living in the line of those great matriarchs and prophets of Israel. And she gives birth to the Son of the Most High in a stable and places him in a feed trough because there's no room for them in the end. I mean, can you see it if this were happening today? It would be as if they're trying to travel on Thanksgiving or Christmas Day, and they get on the airplane, and they get to the city where they're going, and because everybody else is there, there's not a place to stay. And in the airport, there's all this inconvenience. You can just see, uh, you know, she's got to throw out the baby oil because you can't take four ounces on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got to sit at the very back row in the airplane that's sitting straight up. There's no way to go back. You've got to go through security. You've got to take off your shoes. You've got, you know, this is, the, this is what they're doing in their, in their heavy travels. And then they get where they're going, and I know we had a room reservation for you, but we can't seem to find it, and we're all booked up. But you can sleep in the airport um, because there's no room for them in the inn. And so this vulnerability of the setting of the birth, the inability of his parents to, to find secure lodging, mirrors the vulnerabilities of the empire's subjugated people. They're all being led around by the emperor. And yet this humble setting puts no damper on the joyous event that's about to occur. There's going to be those who rejoice at the news of Jesus' birth, just as there was at John's. And here we find, in those regions there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord stood before them. And what's the reaction to the angel of the Lord standing before you? You're, yeah, it's a little afraid. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as they should be. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people, even you. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And we already know he favors Mary, right? There are others he favors too. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Yowza, right? The shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, 
which the Lord has made known to us. And so they went with haste. If you remember from last week, who else went with haste after an announcement? Mary, when she hears of Elizabeth having a baby, immediately goes with haste to be with her and to share the good news. The shepherds have heard good news and they're gonna go with haste to see what's happened. And they found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. So they share the good news that the angels tell them with the Holy Family. And all who heard it, maybe there were some more people around too, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. They are evangelists. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just like Zechariah, just like Mary, just like Elizabeth, as it had been told to them. So the shepherds, as we all know, were on the lowest rung of the social ladder. They were dirty. They were probably illiterate. They lived out in the fields. Nobody wanted to hang out with the shepherds. They didn't mean much. And yet it is the poorest of the poor that are the first to hear the good news. A Savior, the Lord, has been born to them, to them, and for all people on this day. Okay, the word Savior is interesting because Luke is the only synoptic gospel to call Jesus Savior. I never realized that until I was studying this. The only one to call Jesus Savior, it happens twice and only in the infancy narrative. And we've once it's said by Mary when she says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So she's applying this term to God. And then the, the word the Lord. Jesus is not just referred to as Lord like an honored person or uh, a keeper of a landowner, Lord. Um, but he is... He's not just referred to as Lord in this pronouncement to the shepherds, but the Lord. And there's a difference in Lord and the Lord. Elizabeth, too, spoke of Jesus as Lord when Mary visited her, when she said, And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She has this prophetic voice. She recognizes who is in her presence. And so Luke uses this title, Lord a hundred and three times in just that in just his gospel not to mention Acts 40 times refers to God 24 of those times it's it's a, a person Lord lowercase Lord 39 times it refers to Jesus and many of those as also the Lord so the Lord is reserved for speaking of God of the divine and Jesus is repeatedly identified as the Lord's, God's salvation, the one who comes to save. He's also referred to as the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. And remember, anointing was connected with kingship. We have Samuel who anoints King Saul and King David. And of course, we're going to have John the Baptist uh, doing a symbolic anointing of Jesus. He is the Lord's anointed, the one anointed by God to serve as king, which is going to put him in conflict with Caesar. 
And of course, the shepherds, the angels come singing songs of praise and people leave. The shepherds leave singing songs of praise, which is appropriate. Elizabeth sings and Mary sings when the good news is shared with them. The neighbors rejoice and Zachariah sings and nothing less than the angels sing and praise God after announcing the good news to the shepherds. This is the one, the low has been lifted up. And this singing and the message of the angels affirms Jesus' role and title as Savior and Messiah and Lord. And of course, the shepherds return doing what's appropriate. They praise God for all that they had heard and seen. The story happens this day. This day. The story began in those days, the days of an old age and time. And it ends on this day, a new age, a new day. This day, this age, is characterized not by the drudgery of business as usual or by the threat of imperial power, but by the inbreaking of the heavenly realm, the song of the angels, the inbreaking and the telling of the good news of great joy for all people. Those days were governed by fear. Fear of the emperor, fear of the other, fear of the unknown, fear of death. But this day comes with a new possibility to fear not. This day comes with hope and joy for the future. After eight days passed, it was time to circumcise the child. And he was called, surprise, just like the angel said, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's just what you did. You bring him to the temple. As it is written in the law of the, Lord, of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You could bring a sheep, but they probably couldn't afford that. And so the Levitical, the Levitical law said, if you can't afford, afford that, you can bring two pigeons or turtle doves. And so that's what they do. So it designates that they are poor and a little lowly. So Mary and Joseph, of course, follow the requirements of the law. And we see again that Jesus' circumcision and naming parallels that of John the Baptist. And his name in Hebrew is Yeshua, Joshua, which means the Lord saves or the delivers. Joshua is the one who delivered, um, delivered Israel into the promised land, and Jesus has come as a new Joshua. Jesus' dedication continues that parallel between Mary and Elizabeth and Hannah's stories, because we see Hannah praying in 1 Samuel, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition that I made to him. That's what Elizabeth did too. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Mary, doesn't, Mary does know it, but this child will be God's child for as long as he lives. And so Luke is also famous for pairing men and women together so that we get in this in his gospels a sense that the gospels for everyone that everyone doesn't you don't have to listen with a different ear you can hear 
a male version and a female version. And so he paired Elizabeth and Zechariah, Mary and Joseph, and now another famous couple to show that Jesus' birth is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, to show that these couples again continue in Israel's line of patriarchs and matriarchs and prophets. And, he, and, and Luke illustrates that with the inclusion of women, Jesus brings this radical departure from the social conventions of the time. These women now have prophetic voice, and it shows that the coming of his kingdom brings good news, not only to, it's not about women, but to those who share this lowly status, like the shepherds. Anyone who has a lower status is now welcome into the kingdom. And so this third couple, though, although they're not married, they're paired together because they are at the temple. And this is the story that the, he uses to complete the Christmas story, the story of Simeon and Anna. So there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel, just like Zechariah was in the beginning. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. Let me know if you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a prophetic voice, right? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, it's like, what a coincidence, they show up at the same time, to do for him what was customary under the law. So they've come with their sacrifices. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother just like those folks that were standing around Zechariah, the neighbors were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, The child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Of course, being prophetic about Jesus' death and the pain that that will cause his mother. Simeon's words again remind us of the Magnificat. It all loops back around together of the rising and falling of many. But he also brings words of hope and salvation, of light and peace. He responds to the divine like everyone in Luke's gospel by praising God. He realizes, he recognizes who is in his presence, and he sings God's praises. And Simeon, of course, is not the only one to recognize the consolation of Israel. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was of a great age, kind of like Elizabeth. Having lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84, so she's been alone for a long time, she never left the temple. She probably didn't live there, but it's just like we talk about some people who live at the church. <laughs> she never left the temple. But she worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. 
And at that moment, at that moment, she came. It just so happened. What a coincidence. At that moment, when Simeon came and Mary and Joseph and the baby came, and she began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She too recognizes the divine. She too can't keep but from talking about what's happening and sharing the good news. And yet we don't see anything that Anna says. Her, her words aren't recorded. It just says what she does. But she's not as silent as she appears. Her years in the temple devoted to worship and prayer and fasting have prepared her to recognize Jesus when he appears and to speak about him. And so Anna, even though she is a widow, because she's a widow, is also one of the lowly who has been lifted up because of her devotion. And she is lifted up and given a prophetic voice. Luke's placement of her beside Simeon and pairing with her anticipates the atmosphere of Luke's next, you know, the Luke number two, is which would be Acts, anticipates the atmosphere of Pentecost in Acts where it reads, in the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Anna is a foreshadowing of that, of that prophecy. So Anna and Simeon also duplicate the figures of the waiting Elizabeth and Zechariah who it says are on in years from last week with whom Luke opens this infancy narrative. So we have bookends. The story, the infancy narrative opens with Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting and it closes with Simeon and Anna, all who are on in years. Their waiting has ended. All of their waiting has ended. This is the child that all who are looking for the redemption of Israel have been waiting for. The gift has been given and they have received it with gratitude and joy and praise. And then the scripture says, when they had finished everything required by the law, this is Mary and Joseph of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child, this sounds familiar, the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. Elizabeth and Mary and Anna were all recipients of God's divine grace, God's gifts that first Christmas. Elizabeth, in her disgrace as a barren woman, prayed for the gift of a child, and she received much, much more than she could have ever asked or hoped for. She became the mother of the prophet of the Most High. And Mary, in her humility, in her saying, here am I, humbles herself to God and receives the gift of becoming the bearer of God's son. Anna spends her life waiting and preparing for the coming of the Lord, and she receives the gift of recognizing him when he appears. Uh, John Wesley once said, nothing is more repugnant to capable, reasonable people than grace. <laughs> and of course, grace means God's free gift. Our prayer, my prayer for us all this Advent season is that we will be willing to receive God's gift, to open our hands, to open our hearts, 
let God be born in us and through us, and may we so prepare our hearts for his coming that we can see his presence everywhere we turn, in all whom we meet and all whom we serve. Next week, Walt is back, and he is going to be talking about these Christmas stories as well, but I promise you they're going to be totally different from what I've said today, so you'll want to be here. Let us stand and sing. What child is this? Which verses do we want to do?